On this episode of the Fear Me Out podcast, I will welcome my dear friend and colleague, Doyle Hollister. Doyle and I met each other close to 40 years ago. We went to the same graduate school and uh, became friends. And over the course of time, Doyle and I have uh, referred lots of people back and forth to each other. And he is recently transitioning away from from being a therapist to other aspects of his life. Uh, And I wanted him to come in and talk about what it's like to be in practice for 43 years and then... Uh, switch over to other projects. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Fear Me Out podcast with Doyle Hollister. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, Dr. Dana Saperstein. Welcome to the Fear Me Out podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a very dear friend and colleague, Doyle Hollister. Uh, Doyle and I were just chatting about how long we've known each other. It's been 35 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were in the same graduate school together, and we had the same mentor that we both adored and helped us enormously in in our incarnation. And uh, Doyle and I have been referring people back and forth for a million years, and uh, one of the few people I say that I can respect in the community and feel safe and comfortable uh, referring people to, and sadly for me, Doyle has retired, and that's part of the reason why he's here today. Uh, I want Doyle to... Not retired. Not retired, from I'm being a therapist. Transitioning. Yeah, transitioning, right. Transforming <laughs> Transfor- into <laughs> Sorry, a Doyle. Doyle, or many Doyles. <laughs> yes, I'm sure there are. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's right. So what I would love, Doyle, is for you to start off, if it's okay with you, talk about a bit about where you come from. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the Santa Barbara community, you have a very visible name. There are streets Mm -hmm. named after you, and there's a a ranch in uh, the north of Santa Barbara County. Where I live. Where you live. Now. And so uh, your last name is very well known. Yeah. Um, And you're a surfer, so you've been out there. I am, yeah. Uh, So, Doyle, tell us a bit about who you are and where you come from, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, the Hollister part, I am a Hollister, and I'm my great-grandfather was Colonel W.W., and he's the great citizen that basically influenced Santa Barbara significantly. Glenn Annie, Annie Brown was his wife. Um, he planted the palm trees out there. I mean, so, you know, the Low Barrow Theater, the Stearns Wharf, Arlington, he's, he was he was a part of all of that, influencing it. And he was, um, you know, uh, it's a huge history, but he was a, he brought sheep across the, the nation from Ohio um, twice and um, made a killing with the 49ers around wool up in San Juan Batista area. There's actually a town called Hollister, which oh, is yeah. named after him. Oh, uh, That's right. That's the San Juan Batista area where the, he brought his sheep to... Uh, Transition them into wool, <laughs> and and what 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 was the years of his uh, incarnation here? And he well, he, he uh, it's roughly. I mean, I could say he's he he ended up down and around here, um, buying the Glen Annie area, and then the various Hollister ranches. There were actually five ranches. The main one that you know is the main ranch. That's the fifteen thousand acres. But there was there were smaller other ranch. Winchester was part of his. Uh, empire so to speak and uh, um but um is this during the 1800s 18 around 1860s yeah, okay right, so, right the mid area, so the mid-1800s late, late wow. 1800s yeah so you got history in this town oh big history here yeah and you know i don't i don't pay a lot of attention to that really yeah. um um people make comment to that are you one of them uh, <laughs> one of them it's like some sort of alien <laughs> yeah I go, yeah i'm one of them and they go oh you must have a, you have a really interesting history and i go yes i really do it's really yeah. quite romantic in a lot of ways and tragic like all family stories yeah. there's uh you know the, the light side and the dark side so you grew up in santa barbara 
Um, I grew up, I went to Crane School for okay. like till eighth grade, essentially. Okay. And my mother is, was always wanting to tell me, you told me, you told me, well, you never wanted to go anywhere else but Crane. Well, I went, I went plenty of other places. Yeah. So from Crane, I, I went, um, I went to Midland School over in the Valley. It right. It was a boys boarding school back then. No co-ed situation that it is now. No. So I went there four years and, um. You know, my interest, I was really athletic. I always got the all-around athlete in every school I went to. Yeah. Um, and I was very interested in soccer. I was a really good soccer player. And so uh, so I enjoyed the athletics at Midland and the Condor League competition at Kate School and Dunn School and Thatcher School and right. Webb School and Ojai School. It was fun. And then, um, and then from there, I went to University of Denver for one year. Um, Really was the place I got in. I wasn't wasn't a great student, so I didn't uh, didn't have great grades and not great scores either. But I walked onto the soccer field and made the varsity as a freshman. Uh, and <laughs> so that's what got you going. So that's what that and 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 I I, I had become enamored with um, um, a woman who was actually the sister of of uh, a young man two years younger than me. And as you mentioned a little bit earlier, I was quite. Uh, frustrated with my relationships with women at that point. So he said, why don't you bring my sister? Yeah. So she, she came down, her name was Hillary, and we, we became really close, and I fell in love, et cetera. And then off to Denver, I go, and she went to Cal. Oh, okay. So I wanted to get to Cal as fast as I possibly could, if I could, and sure as shit. I uh, played played really soccer really well, I really studied hard, got good grades, and... Um, the summer of 69, um, I graduated in 68, went to Denver, and then in summer of 69, I uh, was accepted on an athletic scholarship to Cal. Wow. So I went right right from Denver right to Cal that summer. And uh, so then I was at Cal playing. I had a redshirt for a year, so I didn't play, but I played, but not legitimately. So, um, And I uh, was there for three years, um, managed to pl- play three seasons for them. And um, I was an English major. That was always my passion was literature. And uh-huh. that has a lot to do with human nature and yeah. my interest in human nature, which, of course, is going to blossom out as a therapist. Yeah. And uh, so I was uh, an English major there and did did well. And um, yeah, is this this going in the direction you want to go. yeah sure yeah, so, you're fine so i, I am just gonna, being a hollister out there in the world yeah, like a normal person in the world <laughs> just in the world and right then uh, some of my relatives uh had been doing stints in europe and so hillary and i thought well, well let's go do something after college so we went to italy for a year uh-huh. and uh, we lived in actually up in fiesole above florence and um studied art history and the language and um traveled all around for a year and then uh, came back to Santa Barbara and things got rough there. And I, I could say something about that, which is relevant to even what I'm going through right now. Okay. Um, coming, coming back, being at Cal and then coming and away from Santa Barbara, both high school, college, Europe, then coming back to Santa Barbara was like, wow. Um, it was it, it just created an identity crisis for me and i really really was thrown into again a transitional space of not really knowing whether i was italian um or i really really was into italy and so, huh. so and then i questioned my marriage um and sort of um you guys were married at the we time we were married at that point we got married as as um i think juniors at cal oh okay um, really early. it's a long story there but um I sort of succumbed to a lot of pressure by her family, and that was uh, the kiss of death, honestly, because wow. I didn't really feel I made my own decision. Wow. So that sort of blew up in Santa Barbara, and um, while both she was in the uh, Asian Studies Department at uh, UCSB, and I had gotten into the Master's and Secondary Credential English Department out there, so we were both in grad school. Yeah. I was headed towards what I always was thinking I would be, would be probably an English teacher and coach at some maybe prep school or something. And so that was my, that was my focus was to be an English teacher. Huh. Um, all the, all the mentors that I respected uh, over the course of uh, 
really goes back to elementary school. The, the English teachers at Crane, the English teachers at Midland, the English teachers, all the teachers I took um, classes from. And, or you were drawn. Them, but a lot of them at Cal. And, uh, drawn to them? Hmm? You were drawn to them? Drawn to them as mentors, yeah. They were, and so... I was thinking that's what I wanted to do was be an English teacher. Wow. So, but then I got into this, the, the relational personal trouble and, um, and we ended up getting divorced and she ended up going back to her, her hometown, Santa Rosa. Uh-huh. And I was in a, in a space where that was the beginning of my becoming a therapist, honestly, because oh. I had okay. I just decompensated. I really, had a tough time? Oh, I had a really tough time. Really was this the first time in your life that things were really difficult for you? I mean, do you... No, I'd had other breakups that were really hurtful, uh-huh. um, you know, adolescent stuff. Yeah. Um, but this was... This was... Pretty brutal. Like it was uh, a challenge to my stability. My sort of oh. egocentric sense of self was just shattered. Okay. And I really regretted my decision. I wanted to get back together oh. and tried really hard. And she was very disoriented. We were both really in bad shape. Okay. <laughs> so I started going to therapy. Uh-huh. Never been to therapy. And I went to a woman therapist here in town. I won't mention her name, but she's um, she and her husband both practiced psychotherapy here. And I went to her. And, and I'll tell you, I, I've... I found it very frustrating because I found, I mean, she would weep with me in a very empathic way. Um, and that was sweet. Uh, somebody was connecting with me, um, but I was really looking for direction. I really wanted some direction. I yeah. Mean, I was lost. Yeah. And there was no direction. There was no real feedback. And I went, wow, you know, I could, this is interesting stuff. It's really intimate. Uh huh. It's deeper. It's, it's the relationship is interesting. I just got, got sort of stimulated there into considering, well, maybe, maybe I want to be a therapist. Oh, okay. Yeah, really. It, it so it was there. through your experience. So you started. Yeah, and then I, and I, um, but I still had to finish up my English. Um, yeah. So I, in a, you know, with a lot of craziness, I finished up very wobbling, wobbling uh, through the end of my master's and wobbling through my student teaching down at Santa Barbara oh, okay. High School. Yeah, I, I was given basically second semester the twelfth grade because they had a really incompetent English teacher, down there, <laughs> and I had some ability and talent, and and uh, they just threw me the whole class for the second semester. Wow! Yeah, so I had the the best English teacher that I could that I learned from from the first semester, and then I I was given the class for the second. That's semester. amazing. Yeah, it was pretty, um, and you know, but but even there, I went, wow, is this it? I'm is this it? I'm going to be working with adolescents for ever now. And, and I just want, you know, there's more. Well, and that would be a good reason to have your head examined. Just the idea of working with adolescents, right? Working (laughs) adolescents solely for my life. I I mean, I, I, I've done a lot of work with adolescents and family. I know that I'm, you know, joking, but I love working with them, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to professionally be grounded there. So, right. So, um, that just, I finished the master's and finished the student teaching. And then, uh, and then I was just, uh, stimulated with this sort of vision that maybe I wanted to be a therapist. And, uh-huh. and I have a lot of therapists in my family. I, I sort of then discovered. Is I mean, that true? Oh yeah. My aunt and uncle, Joe and Jane Wheelwright. Oh, you probably know they're famous, internationally famous Jungian analysts. And who were they related to? Uh, well, Jane Hollister was my father's fraternal twin. Oh, okay. They were the youngest, the twins. There were there were three brothers above them. Okay. Um, no, two brothers. Sorry. And then the twins. And um, but anyway, so then I I, I I I became interested in what they were doing, and my my godmother and first cousin on my mother's side. Um, she was uh, a social worker from Cal oh. and married a husband, a clinical psychologist, and they had a whole counseling organization in um, Los Gatos. And so I went, well, I'm going to go see what that's about. Huh. And uh, um, I'd never taken a psychology class. Really? Yeah. And you, met, you completed a master's degree well, before you even yeah. thought about I, being I, a therapist. I applied. Yeah, I applied. <laughs> <laughs> I applied to... To Santa Clara, because it was uh-huh. really one of the only then, I think Sonoma State had an MFT master's yeah. degree, and but yeah. uh, 
Santa Clara was a good program, and I applied there. And probably based on that, I already have had graduate work successfully. They let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Big mistake. No. <laughs> no. And um, so I, I applied, and they suggested that I take some psychology, basic psychology, you know, the schools of psychology. At, yeah. Uh, it was Foothill College or something. So I took that, and it was uh-huh. interesting. But mostly I hung out with my my cousin and um, her husband and, and their counselors and that and did all sorts of different therapies. There. I bet. Just, just went into different rolfing and, yeah. you know, um, uh, Reiki, Reiki, not Reiki. Um, rolfing and uh, other rolfing things? Rolfing in the body, the body were Reiki. Right, Reiki, 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 right. Reiki. Yeah. yeah. So, and then was accepted, well, accepted and, and started to attend to Santa Clara. Lived up in the mountains, up uh, like a mountain man. Up again, here we go, mountain man. Up in uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains, and uh-huh. went, to, went to Santa Clara. And boy, the light bulb just went off. Yeah, you I found was your not passion. Not only really enjoying it, but I was really good at it. Like it was just like it's just like what I was meant to do. You know, so I was so when really you, clear that that was yeah. the path I wanted to be on and should have been on, but needed to have the meltdown to get there. So when you look back on your early childhood, do you think that that informed any of this in, in any way? Because I'm assuming you had to do a lot of therapy in order to, to become a therapist. Well, right? I did. Um, the, 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 the catalyst, honestly, which is well, you know, one, of my, one of my themes that I, in psychotherapy that I've always respected and studied a lot is the whole initiation process. You know, the, the separation from some former self that threshold stage, which is the uh, liminal phase where you're betwixt and between something old and something new. And then, okay. and then the third phase is to incorporate it into the community in some capacity, whatever transformation you've gone through. So uh, I, I love that process, and I've, I apply it diagnostically or have applied it all the time with my clients in terms of helping them see themselves on some continuum. Well, that came from my decompensation. Oh, like okay. That was that was where the old Doyle um, just disintegrated, and he needed to disintegrate. He was way too repressed. Oh, okay. Way too uptight. Way too responsible in sort of a rigid way, and he needed to crack. Is that the way you were raised uh, no, as a child? I, I was really. Um, I had really absolutely minimal influence. It was really me sort of raising myself. Oh, okay. I always did well enough. Yeah. That, and my father, I was the second batch. He had two sons. Oh, okay. Former marriage. And he was like, oh, oh, okay. Two more. Oh, okay. And so he was kind of peripheral. And my mother was just an East Coast mother, a little bit too, you know, merging, but not directive. Yeah. So the decisions I made were really my decisions. So if you're out there on your own, you know, you, you kind of get constellated as like, I think tight a bit. You know, it's too much, too much responsibility right. personal without, yeah, without external direction or help or something. So okay, so I so I needed to fall apart and drop deeper down into myself, and that's what that at an early age I was only twenty six, but it was a disintegration. Wow, it was a complete disintegration, and. Um, but that's what that's what made me a good therapist was the falling apart part. Yeah. And and then, you know, clawing my way back into a whole different identity uh, now as a therapist. Um, so, yeah, there I was in Santa Clara, was doing really well. And um, uh, my internship was at a family uh, therapy <coughs> center up there. Um, and we did nothing but co-therapy um, with families and couples. And so I was always paired up with another uh, female peer who was going through the program. And uh, I just loved it. I loved it. I was really good at it. Um, the women that worked me, this is always a, a compliment. They said, you know, when you're in the room, I feel safe. Oh, okay. I'll work with these couples going crazy. And I yeah. just was like, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I, I just didn't get, wasn't scared about it yeah i wasn't frightened by the craziness right and 
I do think that had something to do with my upbringing in the ranch where I was like wandering 15,000 acres, like by myself a lot, like had this sort of instinctual sense of things, you know, in the wild. So you did spend a lot of time in nature by yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, was that by choice or were there no kids around or what? No, my brother was around and we had a couple friends, you know, but we were hanging out with the adults. There were a lot of, there was a big hunting community. And so we would, yeah, yeah I was dealing with high-powered rifles at eight. Wow. Know, Ten, I shot a deer at ten years old. Uh, so I was kind of a wild child. Yeah. But anyway, point being that I think that really helped me not be, you know, afraid of the wildness of people. Oh, okay. You know I'm saying so when I sit there with all this wildness going on in couples, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Or a lot, it bothers a lot of people. Oh, sure. A lot. It was. It, you know, can't do it. A lot of people get reminded of their own experience and get, and yeah, it, you and know, they triggers just get a lot of, and, and yeah. Uh, so, anyways, so I just had a lot of reassurance that that uh, I was good at this on, on in, in some essential way, and then so I got through the master's program there and and did well in the internship, and then then they they hired me um, to be a family therapist while I was getting my hours. At um, it, it was called the Bill Wilson House, which was a I don't think it had anything association with the Bill Wilson from AA. You know, oh, Islander, right, I don't right. Think so I'm not sure though. But so I was thrust into doing real life family therapy with with uh, families um, with teenagers that had run away. They, so they could run away and they could go to the Bill Wilson House, and we would house them, and then we would do family therapy with them. You know, a lot of the families were, you know, the, the fathers were engineers. Yeah. You know, and really tough um, relational or non-relational <laughs> That's for sure. People. Yeah, non-relational. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of work to do there yeah, with I the bet. teenagers. I really could understand why there was, you know, just not much relationship going on. Yeah. So that was like the, you know, baptism by fire, essentially. You know, I had a co-therapist, uh, Who's a who's a person in town, uh, here here in Santa Barbara? Yeah, yeah, his name's Bob Tauber. But I thought that this happened up north. It did. Oh, he, he, it's, a, it's a story. Oh, okay. He, he came back down with me. <laughs> oh, and, it, and that didn't work out. But but uh, we were co therapy team up there. And, oh, um, so we did. You know, we we slept there. We you know checked in the teenagers and we did the whole thing. Yeah, you know, and uh, and we were the uh, co therapy team, and we worked with really difficult families and that yeah. was like the beginning of that was my training was family systems okay so that's and that was a huge part of the psychological uh, theoretical world back in that time well it was up north but when i came down to santa barbara to set up shop uh-huh um besides there was the family therapy institute just yeah. beginning oh okay and like people like Ruth Ackerman were just beginning to be associated with them too. So it was really a sort of a juvenile understanding of family system. And I was really experienced in it. Oh, okay. So it kind of gave me a, a marketing item. Sure. You know, I could really hold myself out as someone who was pretty experienced in working with systems. Right. Difficult systems, couples to families, to teenagers, et cetera. And so that was really helpful. Yeah, I'm to sure. have um, a background in something that wasn't so so prevalent here in Santa Barbara. Oh, okay, so, and I was always tempted to be part of the Family Therapy Institute, but then I was always I'm always I've always been independent, and so yeah, I like doing my own thing. Um, so then, yeah, after finishing up there, I came down here, and uh, I brought um, Bob down. Where we came down together, and. You know, my practice started to take take off, and his didn't. And he's a brilliant guy, and we were just wired differently. And uh, he was way better than I was in the sort of psychiatric clinics. Right, really good at that. Yeah, um, and the, I was really good at the private practice. Uh -huh. so, so that brings me to Santa Barbara. Yeah, and that's when I met you. I think. That's exactly, and I was so I just I'd done two master's degrees really pretty quickly back to back. And then I and, and I thought, well, I need I should get a P, I should get a PhD. So right. I, we applied to the Fielding Institute. That's where we met. Yeah. And I I just realized I 
I don't, I'm tired of studying. <laughs> I just want to work. I yeah, I can to totally understand that. I just did not want to do a PhD. I wanted a PhD, but I didn't yeah. want to be in graduate school. Anymore. Well, but that's because you didn't grow up in a Jewish family that would have yeah. crucified you if you walked away. Right, exactly. <laughs> nobody, yeah, nobody was again saying, well, you need to do this. No, I didn't get anything like that. Yeah, so and I just, it, you know, the crucifixion thing is big in the Jewish community, yes. right? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not very yeah. nice, but you know what I mean. And uh, so I, I just ejected and just really focused on, uh, yeah, on my practice, you know, working, you know, building it, building it. Building yeah, it. well, I met you. You were quite successful, and uh, we both had, I think, had the same therapist at that time, Erwin Bloom. Well, we did. Yeah, yeah. He, he was my therapist, your yeah. therapist, and our and our sort he of was uh, my fielding, mentor, fielding supervisor. Yeah. So we would meet. I know in his office. And, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I remember this to this day because. It's relevant to what I'm, I've always been interested in literature and, and I'm very interested right now in putting a lot of my attention to writing poetry. And so the first time anybody said, you know, anything to me about being a poet was Urban Bloom. Really? I started talking about something. He says, oh, you're a poet. Wow. I went, uh, I don't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, if you say so. <laughs> well, he's the person that convinced me to become a therapist. So um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know if I would have done it or not, but he said, look, you got what it takes. I'll help you. And I, know, so, I remember you telling me that he was yeah. really encouraging you to, to do it. Absolutely. He, yeah. was, he saved my life. He, was, he yeah. was just what I needed, just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, right. Um, and he was more than a therapist. And back in those days, or you could have uh, multiple relationships with someone, and it wasn't... Uh, looked at as being, right. you know, by yeah. the state as being a, yeah. a problem. So he was yeah. my therapist, and he was on my dissertation committee and did all kinds of stuff. He was so kind to me and yeah. and really taught me what it felt like to be loved by a man, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so th- likewise, he, he was a, a father figure. Yeah, for clearly, me, for sure. You know, and yeah. a very nurturing father figure, you know, and so it wasn't authoritarian or anything. No, he, he was, was really lovely. And very supportive. And yeah. It's just so... But I, even though he was supportive of me, I was burned out about graduate school. Oh, okay. So I just, I just, uh, and that was fine because I did. Well, fine you haven't suffered in any way I not having a PhD. <laughs> I've always thought, well, maybe I'll go back to school now. Now right. that I'm finished being a therapist right. and get a PhD. Well, I know in the in the course of both of our careers that you've always been a really really busy person because, yeah. you know, you're not always available when I wanted to refer someone yeah. to you, which is no. a good sign. Yeah. Right. So I'm assuming that you enjoyed your tenure uh, um, working as a as a therapist full time. Yeah, and I and I also um, you know I had the the teaching credential. Oh, okay. Was focused, so that became a significant part of my professional persona here. Oh, I'm not sure I knew that. What, what, oh, yeah, I, I I taught for decades. Really, uh, at both Antioch and Pacifica. You know, I was oh. the kind of for a long time. Deborah was one of the family therapists at Antioch in particular, you know, who taught family therapy and I was the other one. And so, and then I, I did so at uh, Pacific as well. So oh, okay. I have, you know, for both probably 20 years, uh, uh, well, 30 years probably of teaching. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that part yeah, about you. Pretty intensely. So, and, and really loved the teaching and uh, a lot of, a lot of therapists here in town were, um, were my, were my students. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, they went yeah. through Antioch and became therapists. And, uh, and when did Joni come into the picture? Because well, she, she was the up, only wife. Yeah, she, I... she came down with me. We, oh, we met, okay. Um, we met actually before uh, I, I went to Santa Clara. We just met. Um, and then I was a mess <laughs> with my life and uh, in this whole transitional space that I'm referring to. Uh, and she, shortly after, got in. She became um, in trouble with her her marriage. Oh, okay. And so she ended up moving to San Francisco, and we. I was in Santa Clara, and we sort of started seeing each other and dating from there. And uh, we had a lot of fun up in Santa Clara. I bet. Uh, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. And then when I moved down here, she had an old friend who lived in Santa Barbara. And so we were thinking of maybe staying in Los Gatos and just building up from there with my cousin and uh, her husband in the counseling center there. But we decided to move back to Santa Barbara. Yeah. 
it's kind of home for both of us. And yeah, she's an East Coast person, but she she has good has had good friends in Santa Barbara, so had been here in Santa Barbara a lot. So we, she was fine coming here. Yeah, we came down and started living together and got married about uh, I don't know, a couple of years after that. Okay, and what was the sort of initial main focus of your practice when you were uh, developing it here in Santa Barbara? Was it mostly family therapy? Um, it was. It was. It, it was mostly relationship, you know, there and adolescence. Oh, you know, okay. I'd been working a lot with them in the run, runaway house, so oh, okay. that was a niche right off. I mean, I was good with them. I was really playful, very spontaneous, instinctual, all the things you need with teenagers. Yeah, and um, and not parenting them, you know, just uh, really connecting. So um, that was a strong part of who I was as a therapist, and uh, um, and and I was really good with. Well, I was good. I was good with couples, but I certainly wasn't perfect. And uh, and we all learn about. Um, so this is where family of origin clicks into um, an area I was blind to in working with. Um, this is an, this is an interesting point. I was blind to a certain thing. Like I was the therapist in my parents' marriage. Oh, and okay. I was sort of triangulated by my mother to fix my father, which he hated. Yeah. So he hated like me uh, sort of seemingly being superior to him and parenting him. Right. That didn't work out, but I was like naive to that whole dynamic. But anyway, so when I started working with couples, what was I doing in couples? Take a guess. Taking care of the dad. (laughs) No. Oh, the mom. I was taking care of the mom and and, and attacking the the men. Right. So I kept wondering, well, why are these guys not coming back? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. So so then I had to, you know, I had to do my homework there and like look at, well, what's going on here? You obviously, you you have a blind spot here. Yeah. And I I looked at it, looked at the family of origin. Well, there it is, you know. So you need to really learn how to connect with men better. You're good with the women. You know that's that's okay because of the mother, but but the father, you know, I had disengaged relationship with my father, so yeah. So that's where where my whole interest in in men, the men's movement came in. You know, so right about 1983, which is I started here in 1980. This is when Robert Bly, the mythopoetic, yeah, whole burgeoning thing for men started to happen, and I had an experience with him up at uh, Casa de Maria and went, oh my God, this guy, I just went, it's just like, you know, like he plopped from heaven or something. Yeah. He was, he was a poet. He was psychological. I mean, he was, he was paternal. You know, he was crazy, but he he had a really abusive side, which I ran into as well down the road. But Mm -hmm. anyway, that whole movement, um, really was a therapy for me because re- it was all about the father and I really needed to do a lot of father work. Uh, oh, the one thing I d- didn't mention was when I came down here, um, two weeks after I got down here, looking forward to sort of connecting with my dad because um, he was a pediatrician in, in town, or he had been, but oh. then he became a rancher when that's complicated, but he there was nobody else but him to sort of get involved with the ranch because the two older brothers had died so he's a he's a doctor now becoming a rancher you know not easy thing to do no so but so i was looking forward to just and he had he after the ranch was sold he had gone back to stanford and had studied some child psychiatry and he wanted to come down back down here and work with a colleague of his, another a psychiatrist, in fact, but that didn't play out. And mm. so he's a pretty frustrated guy. But I was yeah. looking to connect with him as a medical doctor, father, son, stuff. He died two weeks after I got back. Oh, my God. Suddenly died. Wow. So you see where the, the father wound comes in strongly here, where the men's work oh. was really important for me. So you never got a chance to really connect nope. with him in the way you wanted nope. to. Nope. Never got that chance and got pretty depressed about that. I can imagine. And uh, So that was another, you know, as starting my practice. And so just did a lot of therapy in that area. But the mythopoetic mentoring that that 
that organization gave me was really helpful with the the, the father wound, you know. Wow. Um, and that's still to this day is is I still follow the the main people that well the next generation of sort of mytho poets, um, um, who are still mentors for me. A couple of them. Okay. Yeah. And you wrote a book. Tell us the name of the book. Uh, I only went out for a walk. Okay. Um, and it's a book about um, when I well when I came back. So after the ranch was sold, which is 1965. Okay. I didn't step step onto that land for 15 years. Just completely really? cut off. Wow. Uh, like psychological cut off. Wow. So was that by choice or by necessity? It's the way the family dealt with it. They didn't. My oh. father was comp- very wounded by and and guilt ridden around the, the ranch being lost as he sort of felt. It wasn't oh. true because okay. there were seven families that owned this ranch and they were all wanting to sell. But he wanted to keep it. Oh, and he was uh, my nuclear family was the family. No, my family of origin was the family that really used the ranch. You know so. So I had up to I was about eighteen, just all weekends and summers running wild, you know, free range child, so to speak, on the ranch. Yeah. And then suddenly it was gone. And so for fifteen years, until nineteen eighty, um, when I returned, and I never, I hadn't stepped on the land or even really, wow. really sunk into again the wound of that, the grief around losing the land. I had no no emotional consciousness of the the loss there right i really had emotionally cut off from it and our whole family had done the same thing okay come back a friend of mine from midland who's got involved with the ranch when it was sold in terms of the whole new era of the ranch um invited me out to um, a barbecue at one of the main beaches yeah and, and this beach was a, the beach where my brother and myself and a couple of friends would literally camp out all weekend, like wild, what's that book, you know, uh, Piggy. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know what you're you know, that, that we were sort of wild children uh, running around. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, so that was an intense, intense experience as a kid being just immersed in that particular area. Yeah. And so I was invited to this barbecue right there. Wow. And I went out there, I had a couple glasses of wine, I just walked to the edge of the cliff. They had a there was a slough that was there that, you know, um, it's the, one of the main watersheds that goes all the way from San Julian over the hill all the way to the ocean. And um, a duck came in, just landed in the slough, and all of a sudden I just melted down. Wow. Just got slammed by the grief. Unbelievable. So it was, it was again, here we are again. So this is why I believe in this whole process of, you know, initiate, this is another initiatory thing that I was going to go through, which is to come to terms with the loss of the land uh, and, and find my way to some land ownerships. I just felt like I had yeah. to get back to my roots. And um, so once again, I got really disoriented about that. I was just like emotionally lost again about what to do. And so the book is about, it's a lot of short stories about growing up, you know, when I was a child, really cool stories that I remember that had, had lessons in them, like lessons in these stories with my interaction with nature. It's Mm -hmm. very much a nature book. uh, And then it has, the second part is about this whole process of grieving the loss of it and coming to terms with that and then finding my way back to owning the land again. You know, again, it's I own 100 acres up there. It's not 15,000. But I had to go through a lot of psychology to be able to accept the loss right. of the original land and be very grateful yeah. that I could possibly have be living on this property again. So and you live there now. That's where Joni and I live. And yeah. Parcel number one. And the irony to this a bit is that it's out at the most, I wrote, I wrote a chapter in the book called, 
uh, the Pacifico and the Black Brant. And it's about the end of the ranch, which was called the Coho Canyon. I'm sure you surfed at Coho. Yeah. Um, it's the most wild part of the ranch. Uh-huh. I mean, we would we would get up early to, to, like when it was pitch black, and get in our Jeeps freezing to death, and way early to get back there to go hunting a certain kind of deer back there. Right. Well, that's where I live now. Wow. Yeah, that's where I live. So it's 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 interesting. It must be extraordinary. So that's the full circle. Of yeah. Like, you know, growing up wild child, losing, you know, processing the grief of that whole thing, and then the story of reuniting with the land. That's what the book's about. Oh, okay. And it sounds like an incredible amount of passion. Yeah. For you. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like a, a must write. Sure. And I just sat down. Once I once um, Joe and Jane couldn't be there anymore, they left me t- sort of in charge of sort of overseeing the property. They hadn't died yet. They oh. li- needed to live. In, they lived till they were 94 on that property. Yeah. Wow. 94. That's remarkable. Yeah. Because they had to come in town for medical reasons. I don't think most people realize how remote this place is that you're talking about. Yeah, it's very remote. The people don't. They don't. They go up there and say, I don't want to ever come back here again. This is too scary. It's really pretty wild ride to get out there. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, so, yeah, that's what the the book's about. And uh, it was a must-write because it just poured out of me. Yeah. So, So when I took over responsibility for that property, right? I just had these, it's like, you know, like, like, yeah, the images were just flooding were just through compelled. me, and I went, well, I have yeah. to at least write them down. So right. it's like a stream of consciousness book, honestly. Uh-huh. I mean, I finally got an editor, like again, probably ten plus years later. <laughs> he goes, "Well, this this is terrible writing. You're oh. a terrible writer." <laughs> yeah, well, but hey, hey, hey just what about fix the story? It for me. Well, you just fix it for me. <laughs> yeah. So he trimmed it all up, and I go, this is good, and it was good. I mean, cool. It, it was wordy and yeah. And just, as I said, it's a stream of consciousness kind sure. of writing. But, but I got it out. Yeah. And, uh, and you practiced as a clinician for how many years? 43 years. That's yeah. a long yeah. time. As of, as of 2023, I started yeah. in 1980. Yeah. There was one year, 15 plus years ago, that I thought I was going to retire. <laughs> yeah. And that didn't work out. No. <laughs> for a well, lot of and, reasons. And if some of the people that I know had their way, you wouldn't be retired now either. <laughs> no, that's correct. <laughs> because I get phone calls. Did you know that Doyle retired? And I say, well, yeah, no, yeah it's, it's yeah, time. It's, He's, you know, he did this for a long time. I don't care. It's not fair. <laughs> okay. I'll make sure I mention that to him yeah. when I see him. Well, I've been, I've really taken that seriously. And Well, you're well of, loved and, and appreciated yeah. for what you did. But I've tried to... I worked really hard for probably the last two years to sort of trim the practice yeah. in anticipation. Yeah. And then the last probably year I've really only seen the same people. Right. And so I have a really deep relationship with them. Uh-huh. They're very aware of the yeah. situation and very respectful of my need to move forward in a different way. And uh, um, So how does it feel to change up your life in this way? Because well, it's a huge change yeah i'm back in that liminal place between i'm having to to to, you know this is why i love the sort of initiation process the three part i'm in the i'm in the threshold phase now where like the therapist doyle um needs to die you know so i'm sort of mourning him like letting him go yeah and um being sad about that sure absolutely also really excited about Mm-hmm. something new right and so it's that edge you know i find myself sort of disoriented uh-huh. uh, some anxiety at least i can diagnose myself that's a good part yes i know exactly where i am uh-huh I, you know i'm not trying to change i'm not trying to like truncate my feelings i'm trying to just stay right. with them uh-huh. i know why they're there um, sure so that's been that's been very helpful otherwise i'd be in therapy again trying to figure out why i'm so anxious yeah i'm not really that anxious but i do have anxiety but it's a big departure from what you're interesting dreams now that are really helpful for me to sort of make sense of and look at and And yeah so i'm in a i'm in a um you know psychologically i've made a commitment to myself based on sort of being a therapist for that long right like i recommended to a lot of people don't don't 
do anything too fast here. Yeah. Don't just busy yourself, Doyle. Right. You know, how many times do we have people who are in their transitional spaces and they want it like they're nervous and they needed to, they need to just define themselves in some, some way just to ground their sense of uh, sure. uncertainty or insecurity, or whatever. No, no, just learn to, to, to be more comfortable with the, the, the discomfort. You know, that's kind of, something that I find really helpful to try to let's, let's learn how to be a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable for a while. So you can let sure. things come to you with patience rather than impatiently because of anxiety and insecurities, jump into something prematurely. Right. And now you're wrapped up in some life that might not really even be mm -hmm. really your path, right. but you're busy. You know, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do what I, preach so to speak and just lay low let the world talk to me uh -huh. let things sort of organically emerge from me in terms of what i want to do i have very specific things i do want to want to do but i'm actually not jumping into them too fast because okay. i don't want them just to dominate i want to see yeah. which one is really which ones are the more important and i'm assuming that your wife plays a huge role in in uh, just accompanying you through this journey well, she, she, she's always had a different, she has had an interesting relationship with me. <laughs> I'm not easy. I'm, I, you know I, what, I, I'm, I'm a pilgrim. I always want to be kind of on the cutting edge of things. I want to be alive. You know? Uh huh. You know, one of my favorite, favorite African phrases is when death finds you, make sure death finds you alive. <laughs> well and we, both of us that. i try to live by that for sure but both of us know we married up big time right yeah 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 <laughs> that's so, no so, secret so, so me you know kind of vibrating around she's an empath uh-huh it, it isn't easy for her and so i yeah. i try to manage myself so that i don't stress her out about right. just my basic nature uh -huh. and she's very caring and mm -hmm. empathic and she knows when to you know you you go you go down to your office. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, enough of you. I think nature's calling you. I think nature's <laughs> calling you. I I don't need you around here. Right. I want to listen to this book. So she has her way of drawing boundaries with me. And, uh -huh. um, and I'm you know she has a, a disease that that I very much need to be very respectful of because I don't want to stress her system out. Oh, so. Okay. So I take care of my own business. Yeah. Know, and leave her alone. So what do you think that you've learned on the deepest level as being a therapist? Well, that's a comprehensive question. What what would be the deepest? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like if you were going to, if somebody said, well, what'd you learn about? Like what what do you think really matters being a therapist and watching people in action and especially in relationships with each other? Well, what really matters for me and in my and what has mattered in my work is helping people be relationally conscious. Okay. And really understand what a relationship is. Okay. What what's what are the requirements? What's the blueprint for having a good relationship? And, mm -hmm. um, I think I've been, you know, at times a brilliant couples therapist. I think I really uh -huh. really. I'm good with couples. Uh -huh. So by virtue of housing myself in, in that dynamic of working with couples, um, uh, I think I really have a pretty, pretty comprehensive understanding of what it does take to actually be, you know, mindful of, of relationalism. Uh -huh. and, and also I think I'm, very aware of just some essential differences between men and women and certainly respecting differences between whatever dyad is in front of me and working with that, like rather yeah. than, you know, how many relationships each person wants to fix the other person or make them into the, into the person that they want to be ideally with. And the, yeah. You know, so, so like how to, ex, you know, your difference is pro a problem my difference is correct, whatever. Uh -huh. It's just the war goes on and on rather than just looking at, okay, accepting differences and then really creating the third system, which is the relationship. Right. You, know, you got you got John, you got Sally, these worlds that are different and then they come together and 
you have to create this this system together that's your relationship and uh, that's not easy no it's not easy that's for sure a third entity like i yeah. favorite subject when people are fighting so i ask them so there's a, up above you there's your relationship in your marriage uh-huh. so if you look at that you just look at that what can what's your gift to that now what could you what can you give to that that will help that and what can you do this how can you both individually give a gift to the third entity the uh-huh. Robert Bly has a poem called The Third Body. Oh, okay. So it's a beautiful poem, really simple poem about this issue. About oh, okay. The concept of that third body. Uh-huh. The bodies of the two partners and then the body of the relationship. And I read that at my weddings all the time. Yeah. Just a reminder. Just a reminder. <laughs> As you're going into this, remember the third uh-huh. body. Yeah, well, so that, that's, that's, that's I, I would say that that's, that's the probably the most sig- well that's one significant yeah, aspect yeah. of the work I've done. Yeah. Well one of the things that has concerned me as a as a therapist is that um when I was a little kid you could take your TV in and get it repaired to the TV repair store yeah. and you could get your washing machine and dry and everything was designed to be repaired instead of disposed. And nowadays everything you buy goes in the garbage can when it breaks. Yeah. And and I think that that has subtly influenced people into believing that if there's a problem in the relationship, get rid of it and go find another one uh-huh. instead of recognizing that, that it takes an enormous amount of work to make a relationship yeah. work. Right. I mean, I'd say to people all the time, or they, or they say to me, Hey, does it have to be this hard to be in a relationship with someone? I agree, yes. Right. And my, my response was, well, when you go to work, do you work or do you just sit there? And they say, well, of course I go to work because when you go to work, you're supposed to work. Yeah. And I said, well, why do you think relationships are self-sustaining? That's ridiculous. You have to work harder on that yeah. than your job. Yeah. And yeah. if you look at it with resentment, instead of seeing it as an opportunity to grow and learn how to take better care of yourself and your partner in the process, then of course you're just going to throw it away thinking that there's something better that can be, you know, you can get a new car. And that's going to be better than the old car. Well, it's also that delusion or illusion or whatever that it, it's supposed to be easy. Yeah. You know, um, that's what I mean about relational. What, what, what uh-huh. really are the ingredients to, to, yeah. to, to, to a relationship? Uh-huh. And, um, all, all the ingredients are work. Exactly. You know, they, they, they really require sacrifice. And uh-huh. They require emotional effort, mental effort. I mean. And and to to ride your horse there a bit, you know the instant gratification, um, kind of orientation. I think uh-huh. I get rid of it, get a new one. Yeah, you know I'm not satisfied with this right now, so get rid of it. Like the instant yeah. gratification impulse is 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 uh, hurtful to yeah. to really managing a long term relationship. And so, so there yeah. are a lot of th- the the other thing that is right side by side with what you're talking about is the pace of our culture I, you know since i started and now 43 years later the pace of the world is so influential into into family life and relationship life right it's 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 jamming people um uh out of doing the work mm-hmm. you know because it's just moving too fast we're all just right. moving too fast and uh um, you know, being in a relationship requires being quiet, uh-huh. you know, and really present and listen, press and listening. Yeah. yeah. Imagine capital imagine L listening, <laughs> listening, listening, yeah. you know, you're not just moving forward uh-huh. you know, not and the distractibility of yeah. partners these days in terms of all the internet stuff is horrible to being present. Yes. You know, it's no wonder that mindfulness uh-huh. is so, so currently therapeutically relevant. Well, yeah, we're all getting mindless with the technology, you know, <laughs> yeah. so let's, yeah, let's get mindful. Yeah. Like uh-huh. be present. It makes perfect yeah. sense in terms of that therapeutic approach being needed for the slowing down people yeah. and their relationships and families, et cetera. Yeah. So is there anything I've forgotten to ask you about? We have another five minutes or so. I would love to know if there's anything I've not thought about that you think is really important to mention in this podcast about your life and about, the journey that you've been through and the journey that you're continuing on. Well, as I said, the, I love that phrase, you know, you know, when death finds you, make sure death finds you alive. That, that has been a motto that, 
that I really try to live by. I wouldn't have lasted 43 years of being a therapist if I didn't really take that serious. Like, I want to be alive. Okay, so what does that look like from your perspective, being alive? That I'm, I'm engaged in my passion of things, uh, of a thing, of things. I'm, I'm passionate about a lot of things. Uh-huh. So my problem is there, there, there are too many of them. Oh, like, okay. Know, so I need to, like, be more, sort of disciplined in which ones I choose right now. Okay. But that's been a, at the forefront of my therapy with people is, is really helping them be alive uh-huh. you know, to themselves, to be patient enough to sink down into who they really are on a deeper level and what they're really impassioned about and, and really, and try to find that, you know, that has been a central part of my work with whether it's individuals, couples, what do you really want? Who are you really? Like what, yeah. What's the passion in you? Uh And people don't know how to even approach that question. No, I know that's true. It's so hard. They don't know where I start. Yeah. Well, I say, well, go get the independent <laughs> and just keep an open mind and let the, let the things that are in, in the independent talk to you. Like right. just something that talks to you that has a flicker uh-huh. of interest, right? An inspiration, a moment of inspiration, anything, uh-huh. and, and notice that. Right. There's a beginning. But people don't know how to approach that question. Right. And they don't know the seriousness behind not answering that question to, to, mm-hmm. to not live a life that is really uh, connected up to your own personal passion. Um, we're all pretty good at sleepwalking. Too many people that are is true. good at sleepwalking. Yeah. Well, one of the things I ask people all the time is, do you have any idea why you're here on earth? Yeah. Like what is the, yeah. not the sole purpose, but what is one purpose of your life? Yeah. And there you go. Most people don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. But what I ask them to consider is that maybe one of the reasons you're here is to show what your version of love looks like. Because everybody has a different version of love that they bring into the yeah. world. And if you focus on that rather than what's wrong with you and, yeah. and you know, all of that, but trying to figure out how to show the people in your life and, and that matter to you what your version of love looks like, it solves a lot of uh, confusion. Yeah. Yeah, right. your version of, like, what yeah. is your version of love? Well, because this last hour, you've been talking about your version of love and how it's shown itself in all the different manifestations of of yeah. your life, both as, both as a professional and as a um, a father and a and a husband mm-hmm. and a friend. Mm-hmm. And that um, the things that matter to you, you come at with, a play, with, with your, like, energy of love. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're aware of it or not, and I know that you are more than most, that Doyle's version of love has has many facets. Yeah. You're a multidimensional person. Yeah. And the, the, the problem is with someone like you is restricting the dimensions rather than restricting, restricting <laughs> yeah. the, because the areas of love. Don't have enough time <laughs> in yeah, the day. And the clock is ticking, you know, yes. 74. Yeah. That's one of the reasons you know, uh-huh. I, I have, I have loves yes. that I want to attend to. And, uh, absolutely. Poetry is one, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would agree with you. But that's such a difficult question for people, like you say. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I we could go on here, but, you know, the determining the, the meaning of why you're on the planet, uh-huh. you know, that's not a simple question. But it has to do with really sinking down yeah. into deeper parts of... Of what matters to you. Of what really matters. Yeah. And where your inspiration is, uh-huh. like really honoring where inspiration is. Yeah. You know, the inhale... <gasps> Yeah. inspiration where you're in, where is that uh-huh. and, and 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 allowing people to not only notice that but then and then track it uh-huh. you know, so many times we have these moments of inspiration and go oh that's interesting yeah next 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 oh, wait 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 stop slow down stop slow down <laughs> yeah <laughs> pay attention here right something's really talking to you uh-huh. i love that part of therapy i'll miss that part of therapy. yes well and the cool thing is that you've learned to listen I, what you've learned to listen yeah. to what matters to you yeah and you try to teach people to do the same yeah because from your perspective obviously that helps people heal yeah i, I love f- having people listen to sorry to interrupt but a lot of people have i love having them say something and not really they're not really knowing what they said uh-huh. so let's just say that again and let's mm-hmm. really pay attention to what you just said let's yeah. listen to what you your words are here uh-huh. and go deeper Right. Oh my God. 
great fun. That's the miracle. <laughs> That's the miracle. So, Daryl, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming in and and uh, yeah, giving giving us your attention and wisdom and uh, <laughs> philosophy about life. And I really wish you well, not as a retired person, because obviously you're no, not retiring. No, no. You're just shifting to the next phase in your yep. life. Yep. So I really appreciate that perspective, and I think that uh, people are really going to enjoy hearing what you've had to say. Yeah. I'm, I, um, last thing I wrote a letter to all the people that, that, that I've, that I've been seeing for a while. And uh-huh. I, I explained to them about these Doyles uh-huh. and they were, they, they, they said, this is great modeling for us. Yeah. <laughs> this is I got to find my inner I'm Doyle. I'm learning a lot from this letter and what <laughs> right. you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So. Very cool. It's fun, Dean. I, I was really looking forward to being here. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. If you want to do it again, let's do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.